This is episode 115 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Today's episode features a conversation with Mike Collins, founder of SugarAddiction.com and chair of the Food Addictions Institute, an organization that is making headway in forming the public about sugar addiction as a substance abuse disorder. Mike helped me more fully understand and appreciate sugar addiction as a serious life-threatening problem, and I think you'll find this discussion both interesting and valuable. Hello, I'm here with uh, Mike Collins. Uh, Mike is a recovered addict who's been sugar and flour free, I guess, for 30 years. He's the chair of the board um, for the Food Addiction Institute, and he's a founder of SugarAddiction.com. Welcome, Mike. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, I've been watching you guys for a while, and I, I enjoy your stuff. Well, thank you. Um, this this is good for me, and I think it's good for uh, our listeners. Um, as you know, in the recovery community, we we're so focused on our drug of choice that we kind of forget the the big the bigger picture. And you know, I've talked to people in the past, um, Tommy Rosen for one, um, sure. and Dr. Vera Tarman about the importance of diet and exercise, and um, I haven't followed their advice yet, but I hope, but I hope to. And I know that this is a serious, a serious subject, so I don't want to make too much light of it. Um, and, but I know that it's so widespread, the problem, um, that we almost everybody can relate to it. Why don't we start, Mike, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background about you and how, how you recognized sugar addiction as a problem? Yeah, sure. No problem. I, uh, I think there's a saying around some of those rooms that the, I'm just a garden variety alcoholic addict kind of person and um you know i started like everyone else in my early days my mom was a pretty good sugar junkie she gained 60 pounds with my birth Mm. and 105 pound frame and basically told me she ate mostly sugar products and uh you know she had a stash and i knew where it was and you know i was i thought really at that point i was just a kid or everyone whatever I mean, you could probably remember this, but if we didn't, we had unfettered access to this sugar bowl, right? So we could just dump as much sugar on our Cheerios or our cornflakes as we wanted. And if there wasn't a half an inch of sugar at the bottom, uh, you know, we didn't put enough sugar on it. So we just scoop it up with the milk. Right? As a kid, a very, some of my earliest memories actually are of pouring sugar on an already sugary cereal. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Me too. I mean, same thing. And, you know, we used to have sugar on. Uh, Butter sandwiches, sugar and butter sandwiches. Yeah. That was like when we were, yeah, see, it's amazing that people actually concur with me when I say that. There's a great uh, YouTube video out there with Eric Clapton, Ted Ed Bradley's of 60 Minutes of interviewing him. He says, they're down at his Antigua uh, treatment center and they ask, so this heroin started, this addiction started with heroin, right, Eric? And he says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And Ed looks at him with a quizzical look. He said, sugar? He says, yeah, look, I was putting stuff in bread and butter, the same thing, sugar, bread and butter sandwiches in my mouth at six trying to change my state. And so, I mean, mine just evolved on, uh, I was a big candy guy. And was, you know, my mother, my mother thought sugar was love for everyone. You know, we, sure. we had all kind of everything. Well, you know, the anxiety of going to high school 
and you can't eat enough candy for that anxiety. So beer came into the picture, right? Yeah. And then pot and then college. And, uh, you know, I got sober at 28. I can spare you the gory details, but basically I mm -hmm. got sober at 28. And uh, after I got sober, I was like, you know, I was gaining weight and I was lethargic. And I was just really kind of a, I used to drink 16 ounce Mountain Dews, uh, like eight of them a day, right? Wow. And they used to call me the Mountain Dew Man, right? And, so, and that was on top of sugar and everything. And I tried to quit caffeine. I would just drink 7-Up with every meal, you know? And so I was just obsessed with sugar. And um, basically, it was a simple substitution. It's a very, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I substituted one. Well, I, I take that back because I was eating sugar while I was drinking, too, mm -hmm. but, you know, and drugging, but... Yeah, so I just a substitute. I just add, you know, I just went to probably my uh, gateway. As I've listened to Tommy's stuff too, and Vera's stuff. I know both of them. I've interviewed both of them, and it's like uh, it was my gateway drug originally, and it never changed. I never stopped using that product when I was using. Like the nights that I like a Monday and Tuesday night when I didn't drink, man, I had a lot of sugar going on that night, right? And my father used to be like that too. He'd be drinking uh, or he, we'd have a lot of ice cream sundays the nights he wasn't drinking right so yeah i mean it, it was just a simple substitute and i realized it right and i started reading about it and uh there wasn't much out back then uh there was a book called sugar blues and sugar blues was about was a guy he was at a party one time and he heard a voice from behind he was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee and uh the voice said, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. Mm. And he turned around, it was Gloria Swanson, the, oh, wow. the movie star, right? And he eventually married her. And this book came out in the early 80s, and it was a really good book. And I just turned me around. I don't know where I got the thing, and I just started studying it. And, and it's been, I've been sugar-free ever since. So it's been about 30, over 30 years now. Okay. So how does sugar addiction basically work? Um, I mean, the physio physiologically. Uh, it's a great question. And I think the advancement of science in the last five years has been so insane, so great, so rapid that this is going to get figured out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's basically dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, uh, norepinephrine, oxytocin. I mean, all of these reward centers are hit primarily dopamine, but mm -hmm. are hit by the drug. And they're manipulated. They're, your dopamine receptors are down-regulated after so much abuse. And they're just not working well because they've been manipulated manually by a substance, right? And it's the same substance you do with alcohol and cocaine and whatever. It's the same thing you're looking for. It's not the cocaine that gives you the high, or it's not the you know, whatever, it's the amount of dopamine that it man pumps out of your glands, right? And that happens with sugar. It's just a lower dose, takes mm -hmm. a longer time to uh, show damage. But the buzz or the, you know, the just the, the amount of uh, uh, change in state, the, the little bit of lift in well-being is very powerful because yeah. it's, you know, it, it was meant to have a search out food and sex. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, it, to survive as a species. And when you start playing with those things in your mind, manually, you end up with the, you know, either addiction or dependency or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I was kind of wondering about that. If, if sugar was actually something that's even natural anyway for human beings to consume, I guess, I mean, there would be like fruit and so forth, but not 
right. the sugar that we eat now, which is on almost everything, I guess. Well, you're bringing up an interesting evolutionary thing. And, and the way that I describe it best to folks is like, you know, it's not probably the best thing in the world, but the Indians in South America would chew the coca leaves and it's not, you know, they would get a little lift and whatever. But when you start to granulize it, it becomes a lot stronger, more powerful. And right. the same thing happened with sugar. So, you know, and here's the split. And this is where the science has been evolving rapidly in the last five years is that, you know, half of the sugar molecule is fructose and half the sugar molecule is glucose, right? And glucose, theoretically, the brain runs on glucose. The body needs it. You know, there's been some dispute with the keto diet fame coming up and how glucose is produced in the body and what it's needed for. But let's set that aside for a second and just understand about the fructose, right? The researcher, the probably the most eminent researcher in the field today, Dr. Robert Lustig, has discovered that fructose uh, the, the, the metabolic, he calls it, I guess he's got a scientific name for it, but the bottom line is that the, 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 oh, it calls it the toxic metabolite is in the fructose, right? Now, he does not differentiate between the fructose in fruit and the fructose in, in granule, in granular form, like the sugar, like table sugar, right? And all the other 50 or 80 names for sugar and yeah. dextrose and what have you. So, Let's extrapolate backwards now. Let's look at the um, fruit hybridized over 300 years, right? Mm -hmm. Forget about fruit juice. The body does not know the difference between a Coke and an orange juice. Literally, no fiber. The the hit on the liver from the fructose, it's the fructose that causes fatty liver. Now we have fatty liver in children, right? This is ridiculous. This This is an alcoholic's disease. And we have fat. They don't drink alcohol. They're six, eight, ten, twelve. He's Dr. Lustig's actually taking livers out of twelve-year-olds. Oh my God! Or taking gallbladders, excuse me, out of twelve-year-olds. I mean, it, or I think livers. I don't know. I'll have to check that. But uh, uh, fact check that one on us. But you know, it's it's really he's discovered that it does cause the fatty liver. And so let's go backwards with the fruit. Let's look at a navel orange, right? How does a fruit propagate with no? no seed okay mm-hmm. and when you look at a banana that's 300 an orga, a banana that's 300 years old it's so much seeds in it you cannot eat it i mean oh, wow and they would eat it uh, and the old little old crab apples you see it in the wild whatever these are the things that we would eat uh or, or whatever animals would eat to spread the seeds around and that's once a year a tiny amount and so now, fast forward 300 years, the sugar trade that made England and everything, and here we have our body being pummeled with this stuff day in and day out. It just 300 years is only like five minutes in evolutionary time, and our bodies just can't handle it, to be honest. And it's the fructose not – and this is the science. This is the big deal right now that it's just really in the last year that – this real, these real discoveries about fructose are happening. And I asked Dr. Lustig point blank, I interviewed him on a kick sugar summit that we have. And I said, Dr. Lustig, do you think kick, do you think uh, fructose could be a psychoactive drug? And he didn't even let me finish the question. He said to me, absolutely. And we have a lot of evidence for that. So now we start adding that to the equation, right? The possibility of fructose is actually working in the same way that other drugs, right. quote unquote, hard drugs. Yeah. So, Sorry, I'm probably going to get a little rant there, but no, that's really that's really that's really interesting. And you know, quite honestly, I never stop to think about. I'm I'm probably like ninety percent of the people in recovery never stopping to think about. You know, it's great that I'm not drinking, but how I'm eating too. 
I, I it, it can be really difficult um, because I I, ha- I have this feeling that if I were to get off of sugar that I'm going to have to start cooking <laughs> because I think, I think that I eat a lot of these processed foods, which probably are all full of sugar. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, you know, with the people I coach and work with that, that's the big deal. They are just accustomed to quick and convenient and 80 or set. I don't know what's 70 to 80% of the food products in the stores have sugar in them. And so if you don't work the outside of the grocery and, and go to the meats and seafoods and vegetables and mm-hmm. stuff, then you're going to end up with sugar regardless, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was reading your book too, I thought it was interesting that as a person detoxes from sugar, that you feel hungry, but you say it's not really, you're not really hungry. You're not, you're not really needing right. to eat. Um, right. I guess it's just your body rebelling and, and demanding more sugar. Yeah, let's talk delivery systems, okay? Um, Alcohol co-ops the digestive system because it's a liquid, and so you drink it, right? But if you were doing cocaine, you're snorting it up your nose, and if you're shooting heroin, you're sticking it in your veins, right? Well, sugar happens, like alcohol, to have co-opted the digested system as a delivery system, right? And once you get clean, and I use that word intentionally, you know, uh, once you get clean, you end up, that that's really just a symptom of withdrawal. Mm. That hunger that you're feeling, quote unquote, the the description of the vacantness in your stomach, the growling, the growling 100% goes away. This freaks wow. people out a little bit, right? It's like my stomach would growl so loud you could hear it across the room. You know, I mean, that hasn't happened in 30 years. I don't. My stomach doesn't growl anymore. And so, I mean, it, it really is a weird, you know, how the body wants it wants what it wants it wants the dopamine hit right and it'll right. make it'll do whatever it's got to do to get it and uh so yeah i mean that's a you're gonna have to cook you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to make sure there's an eternal vigilance to it yeah that's a, a, a it really becomes a lifestyle doesn't it it, it, it really does become, it, it, that's yeah. what everything boils down to even in recovery from drugs and alcohol i think it yeah. re- requires adopting a new lifestyle Correct. Yeah, it's it, it really. And, you know, the problem is, John, is that uh, the, the real bad part, you don't get arrested, you don't wreck cars right. usually. But we're seeing it now that the dose dependent toxin ends up hurting you after 20 or 30 years or less sometimes. And it starts to manifest all kind of disease. And, you know, they're starting to call it. Uh, Alzheimer's, diabetes three, and so I mean, interesting. Just it's just kind of crazy the things that, I mean, the predictions in countries like Canada and, and UK is that the metabolic syndrome, which is basically what sugar causes, is going to crater the whole system. There's no way that they can sustain it in mm-hmm. you know next twenty or thirty years, and that's happening here too. It's just raising prices for insurance and what have you. So is. Is um, compulsive overeating generally related to sugar addiction, or can those all can those be two separate issues? See, now this is a great question, and it really it's it's really there's a controversy out there, and I, and I, I'll try and suss it out as best I can, and, and let you know your the folks decide is that 
you know, in the eating disorders world, uh, they don't want to demonize one food. And I understand it. Like, uh, um, I don't want to include binge eating there, but definitely anorexia and bulimia. Mm -hmm. They end up, you know, uh, they don't want them to demonize one food, yet they allow them to go to 12-step meetings where the, most of the recovery meetings are about addiction kind mm -hmm. of thing. But what I'm getting at here is that I believe, and though you mentioned the Food Addiction Institute, we are beginning to believe, and I know for sure, and some of the treatment centers owners on our board and some of the PhDs and MDs on our board, you know, this is actually a substance use disorder. Yeah. Right? It's not, it's no longer in my view or in, in you know, I, I, everybody's got an opinion, right? Um, it's no longer an, an eating disorder issue. It's not a nutrition issue. It's a substance use disorder issue. And that some people like alcohol, some people can just drink and never think about it. Right. They don't become alcoholics. And, but in this scenario, there's a certain percentage of people and they think it's somewhere around a third of people cannot biochemically handle the sugar flour products, right? Mm -hmm. they, their, their body just wants more of it. Maybe they learned it as a child. Maybe it's part and parcel, part nurture, part nature. Maybe it's dopamine and, and your child. But who cares? Who knows right now? Maybe they'll figure that out in 20 years. But we have to realize that the people that have gotten clean and sober, the people who are now 5 and 7 and 10 years and 20 years in, with no flour and no sugar, they know they can't have just one. There's right. no mod there's no moderation anymore, which is identical, I guess. Well, it's identical to the folks who believe sh drugs and alcohol they can't have one, right? They, there's no moderation program, or there for most people. Most so the answer guys is abstinence. Correct. And you know, the first time I ever heard about that. Um, was from Dr. Tarman when she was talking about, you know, her approach to food addiction and sugar addiction as abstinence, which yeah. I found surprising because I, I recall speaking with people that were going to OA and they would talk about how, you know, their big problem was that they couldn't find abstinence. They had to figure out a way to eat uh, with control, right? Mm. But if you, I guess if you target specific foods that do trigger the dopamine, you can avoid those things and you can achieve abstinence from that. Yeah. So you're, you, and this is a good topic, I think, for the general scope of your podcast in that I've become or trying to become not, I'm not Ernie Coots or Bill White, but <laughs> I'm trying to become an amateur uh, um, anthropologist of the food programs, right? Mm -hmm. And the people who are pioneers in this, right? Mm -hmm. And so in a way, they have a, construct that you can name your own abstinence that okay. it's your it's up to you right right well about 25 years ago three out three three groups spun out of oa and by accident not really but about that. partially really from experience and this is way before the science that we were just talking about nobody knew about dopamine or anything like that but what they found is that when they practice abstinence and that's the gray sheeters cea how um Food, there's four of them actually Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous and Food Addicts Anonymous, which are definitely they're separate. It's weird, but they're separate. And Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous is a very progressive organization that is, you know, they got good marketing in place. They're, they're really actually, you know, kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. But what I'm getting at here is that they, they do name your abstinence. And the people that are successful say no flour, no sugar, and some of them weigh and measure. I'm not a huge weigh and measure fan. 
That's a long story, mm-hmm. separate, a little separate. But when people don't use flour and sugar and adhere to that program and the rest of the 12-step program, uh, spirituality aside, and they go to meetings and whatever, then they they lose 100 pounds. They got a 100-pound club in one of them. I can't yeah. remember which one. So, you know, they, they the, the weight just comes off naturally. And that's happened in my practice as well. You know, it's not about the weight. It's not about health. It's not a health issue. It's a substance use disorder. And by accident or hook or crook or by crowdsourcing, which is what I believe happened, in the church basements for 20 or 30 years, these four offshoot programs have really discovered. And the problem is, is they're lack, locked in anonymity for the general population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's go let's talk about how to get free from this. Um I'd I'd like i I'm interested in knowing what the detox process is like, how long it takes, and then how to maintain abstinence and the type of support. I know that you have a community um on Facebook and through your website. Um if we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the founder of the food addiction institute phil he's still around actually he's uh almost 80 he he uh he said this needs an inordinate amount of support right and and this is not a, a revelation to folks in in uh recovery of any kind they know that you know we tried by ourselves to do it i tried for a long time i'm sure you did too yeah. to do it to do it by yourself right so it requires a lot of support um and meetings work or whatever but it does, you know, the popular thing in, in out there now is peer recovery, and that's helping in our in our practice. But to start from the beginning, people have to realize there's actually withdrawals, right? There's actually like you, you're going to have physical withdrawals. And, um, you know, what goes up must come down. If you have used this drug since childhood to assuage uh, hurt or harmful or upset feelings, then you're going to need new practices, yoga, meditation, uh, call a friend, exercise, walking, whatever. You're going to need new self-care practices to help get through life's regular stressors because a cookie's not going to be an option anymore. Ice cream's not going to be an option at night anymore. You're going to have to figure out a way to get through it and then depending on your your habit and that's what it is that depending on how how much sugar you ingest in a day and how long you've been doing it how down regulated your your uh, dopamine receptors are it's it's a little nasty at the beginning i mean you just feel depressed lethargy uh, you, you don't need to go get SSRIs. You, you don't need to go get and, and i'm not sub- prescribing for anyone it's you know obviously but i'm just saying it takes a while for you to come back, right? They actually, the pause, the post-acute withdrawal symptom, I'm sure you've probably mm-hmm. talked about on your show, is like, it's nasty. I mean, it takes a while and you've got you to eat right and you've got to hydrate right and you've got to get, uh, you got to exercise and these things and, and do all of the other things to help you uh, uh, like prepare your food and don't get caught somewhere. I mean, you've got to do all the logistical things but it's very similar to drug and alcohol recovery in that you have to be cognizant of your emotions. And once you connect the two, once you connect the emotions of your use, in other words, you use it when you're upset, you use it when you're angry, you use it when you're down, you use it when you're up. And once you figure that part out and journal it out, then you can get free of it if you do the logistical part and eat right. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that's the, that's the short version. Yeah. <laughs> so um, can you talk about the your website and your Facebook group? Yeah, sure. I mean, I own the original sugardiction.com, have for nine years. And I, you know, I thought in the early days, John, that I could just put the information out there because it was heck, just sugar, right? <laughs> it's like I could just put the information. So I had a beautiful course done up and videos and all this other stuff. And, and I sold some courses, but no one got no one got off the sugar. And they, you know, they, I mean, they did. They went back and forth. And then I started one-on-one coaching with folks, and I got a lot of success stories because there was someone who was accountable. They were right. accountable to it, right? They, and and then the group started because you know we do um, now we do groups. Groups come in at the same time, and uh, usually monthly, not always, but usually monthly. And we do Zoom meetings on different nights of the week, which I'm trying to grow to as many as I can. But the most part, the magic part happens in the in the Facebook group um, is uh, we got 2,400 people in a Facebook group that, you know, they're just supporting. They're basically loving each other to, to recovery and they're getting hooked up and calling and messaging and they got their, they're built there. We've helped them, you know, through some education, build our own peer support group inside of Facebook. And that's just simply because everyone's on Facebook. As yeah. this as this evolves, that's hopefully will move off of Facebook. But right. for now it's on Facebook. And is it one uh, of those secret groups where someone it has is. to let you in? Okay. Correct. It is. You can't get in. I mean it's a private group. It's not a secret group. There's right. a difference. But Oh, okay. I, I was confused by that. I know they got closed groups, secret groups. I don't it know is. What private group is. <laughs> it, it, private group you can see it. And people, I think, I can see that you're maybe not. They can't see that you're in it. They can't. They okay. can't get in it. They can't right. get in. It. In a secret group, neither is the case. You have to. Someone has to tell you where. Exactly. How to get in. Okay. And those are the ones that you see on the news all the time when somebody infiltrates. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Somebody infiltrates and they find it. Uh, you know, they find out bad stuff is going on in there. Whatever. Yeah. We have a secret group for A beyond belief, but we don't do anything bad. They- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, a, it, you know, I believe personally uh, that it's, um, I, I mean, the technical part is, I think, mirror, mirror neurons. But I think that the real the reality is it's just a tribe. It's a new tribe. That's, yeah. You know, we're kind of pioneers, in, even in alcohol and drugs a little bit. It's not widely accepted in that, you know, the meetings and, you know, the, the premise of your podcast and your, your group and everything is so exciting to me because, the true of the true statement of take what you leave and leave the rest is really not true because you know people want you to be spiritually oriented or whatever but in reality it's the community that's it the, is. is the game changer it is the community is what makes it all work and uh, and in the facebook in the digital age there is and already is replacements for physical meeting space mm-hmm. And strangely enough, they have university studies that prove this, that these uh, digital spaces, these digital groups help. I can't, you know, and who knows yet if it helps almost as much as a uh, as an in-person one. I'm going to give you another anthropological story, which is very interesting, fascinating to me. So I'll I won't name it. But I was at one of those four offshoot groups, right? Mm -hmm. The the food addict groups, right? And it was the national uh, business meeting, right? And they were had a 10-minute agenda item that they were going to 
can the phone meetings, they were going to can the phone meetings because they believe that you need to be there in person, right? Mm. And there was, this is 9 a.m., they're just going to get get it over quick. By noon, there's still lines at both microphones, pro and con, mm. right? Saying, that's ridiculous. These phone meetings saved my life. I never wouldn't be, you know what I mean? And just think of, I think of it as the extension or, or the precursor, if you will, for the, for the online stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so they ended up, the, the, it's like almost the Republicans versus the Democrats, the conservative uh, older folks, right. uh, older, uh, time, more time in the program folks, voted it out. Okay. And the crazy part is it just moved, they all moved to another one of the groups that I described. <laughs> so the phone meetings still exist, it's just in another group, <laughs> right? It's like, what the heck? What did you accomplish, right? It's it, funny it, how uh, recovery organizations are like that. They just Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just, uh, I'm dying to tell that story because only very few people would like get it or very few audience for sure would even like, Make it wouldn't make any sense for them. Yeah. Make, make, be, be at least a little bit humorous. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just, and, and, and so we're in a place in society and in an evolution of, of recovery that um, things are changing. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And we, and, and, and it's dumb to just not experiment with them. So anyway, that's, Absolutely. that's the stuff that's working now. And that I, I call it now a magic sauce. It's the, it's the community. Yeah. Well, that's definitely what what those of us who are agnostic atheists believe, uh, because the whole higher power thing doesn't work for us, but we do help each other. And I think that's what we have in common with everybody anyway. But um, most of the people, I mean, the audience that listens to this podcast, they're actually very interested in issues outside of just alcohol recovery. And I think mm-hmm. we, I think that we're, a lot of us are beginning to realize that, you know, that there, there's a lot more that we can do uh, for our health than just abstain from our, our drug of choice. So right. it's, it's good information. Um, what, can we finish up by talking about the food addiction Institute? Can you, can you let kind of, I'm kind of interested in knowing what, what it does, what you do there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the Institute is, uh, it's been around since 2005. It's mainly stat or uh, it's all volunteers, obviously it's a nonprofit, but uh, it's a 501c uh, nonprofit, and our stated mission or goal is to a get uh, food addiction named to the DSM-5, or it'll actually be the six, which is the uh, the this dag- diagnostic manual that they. I described. didn't know it wasn't. I did not know it wasn't. Right? No, it's not in there. Wow. Just recently uh, named to the and and, the, and I should circle back on this a little bit. Um, uh, binge eating was named to the DSM-5, but sh- food addiction, um, sugar addiction for sure, but food addiction in general, processed food addiction is not a, 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 and and treatment centers have a diff- tough tough time billing for it, right? So they mm-hmm. because it's not theoretically something that right. is is isn't recognized. So that's one of the goals, and and more than that, it's the you know the advocacy movement that exists in in the world of drugs and alcohol, which I love. We spoke before we got on. Uh, the bigger names are faces and voices in recovery. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of different ones. One of which merged with a government institution or old old line one. Um, anyway, they're they're very very 
effective in reducing the stigma of drugs and alcohol, trying to eliminate the uh, term addict and the term addiction and change it to substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder and opiate use disorder and these kinds of things. And, and I believe those things are very important. And in the food addiction world, nothing like this exists, really. And I'm, you know, kind of an Internet guy. I have been for a lot of years. And so I was brought in, you know, on the board and then as the chair to kind of bring us into that world and to be the um, to help the Institute and, and help the world of food addiction understand the concept, the construct, like just like what we've been describing today. And you've been so kind to let me articulate is that. You know, this is, we believe, a substance use disorder and that abstinence is the answer, which flies a little in the face of even the people who are uh, in the world of eating disorders and the big organizations. And uh, it's and even in the nutritionists are the worst. I mean, I love them, but they really believe that that people can't some they believe everyone and that can moderate. The, the sugar and, and flour or whatever, but we know for a fact and, you know, in our meeting, you know, whatever, we just know the success stories of people who tried for decades uh, and then finally adopted abstinence and are living a, you know, recovery life. And so that's the mission. Those are the missions to uh, help further lower the stigma Get as much information out as we grow. We've got a 40-page booklet that you can get there for help of food addictions free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the budget grows, we like to get the information out. But the other goals are stigma reduction and 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 getting people to understand food addiction and, and sugar addiction. Yeah, well, those are worthy goals, and I'm so glad that I had this opportunity to speak with you. Um, now, I, I said the same thing to Tommy Rosen years ago when I spoke with him that this is going to be a game changer for. But I don't know. I I, I recognize, um, especially when we were talking at the very beginning of the podcast about my very earliest memories. Mm. My very earliest memories are of sugar. Mm. Crazy. Anyway, gives you something to think about. Well, I mean, the crazy part, too, is that when people have withdrawals, they you remember you're using dreams when you started to get sober and clean. Yeah. Pe- people have the same dreams with sugar. They, yeah. They, yeah. It's like they're dreaming like they, they got 20 days in and that they went on a binge and then they wake up and they, they're so happy because they, they, they didn't get high. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else that we should touch on that I didn't that I didn't bring up? Well, um I think you <laughs> I'd like to compliment you on this podcast and your openness to do this and I, and I kind of like to tie it to where we're, what we're doing and that um, that this is all an evolutionary process and I believe we're very very early in the game uh, for the sugar world um, in, in, in adopting this and and how it's all going to play out is always interesting to me in the next five years with the advancement of the science and obviously, we're all looking for a tipping point. We're looking for like the tobacco litigation where a trillion dollar, basically a trillion dollar advertising campaign hit the market in 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 the form of the coverage of the litigation. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so the food world is if you look at it, I mean, I'm in it every day. But if you look at if you study it a little bit. I mean, every health magazine out there has a sugar detox and everybody's talking about sugar addiction and everybody's talking about. But they're they're how should I put it this? It's like they're patting you on the head and they're saying, oh, you've got a little sugar addiction, like a little sugar. You know, like they're they're like, right. 
It's just not taken seriously. Rodney it kills people. It kills, it kills people. people, but it kills them slowly, right? Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, you know, you remember him. He, he had a tie and he'd pull on his tie and say, I get no respect. Right. right. Sugar gets no respect as uh, in processed food, sugar and flour, flour get no respect as a, a drug of, of abuse. And that mm-hmm. part is, has to change. Yeah. It, 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 and, and, you know. However many podcasts that we got, I got to go on, you know, whatever. It's because, you know, I've just, I've seen the damage. My Both my parents, I believe, died of this kind of malady, if you will. Um, uh, they didn't die of, like, old age. They died, right. they died of things caused by sugar addiction. Yep. And so it's just, uh, yeah, and I watched it up close and it wasn't fun. So no. That's what I'm interested in, and I, and I, I'm, I applaud you for getting it out, for you know taking a stand in the, uh, the, the community that you're in, and, and hopefully folks will understand what we're about, too. So. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support our site and podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help out. You can post a review on iTunes, hopefully a favorable one, and you can help us out financially by making either a recurring or one-time contribution, either through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. I would really appreciate any help that you could provide. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'll be back again posting another episode next week.